name's Red, and I want to tell you about the Transformers. My curiosity is aroused. Listening to the Fanholes Transformers Tuesdays. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, and we're going to be talking some Transformers Blackthorn 3D comics tonight. So, everybody here, why don't you give a shout out and let everybody know who's here? Hey, this is Brian Breakdown. I didn't do the homework. <laughs> hey, it's Mike, also known as Lord Imperius Delarius. Hey, this is Tony, and thanks, Derek. My eyes are bleeding now because I didn't have the damn glasses for this shit. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so that there's no secret. We're, we're doing a Transformers Tuesdays where we like to explore different corners of the Transformers universe. And since I was the one who picked this topic, I guess I should just go into a little bit of background on the comics. In 1987... There were some various 3D comics that were published, kind of like the, I guess, like all-star collector's edition type, you know, treasury edition comics. It's like, if you actually pay attention, like, it wasn't like they just came out with, like, a bunch of Transformers comics. They actually came out with other titles, like Star Wars and G.I. Joe and stuff like that. So if you actually, like, look it up and, like, I think an Overstreet price guide, you'll actually see like Blackthorn 3D, like 1 through 58, and then, you know, interspersed in between there, there'll be the three issues of Transformers that we're going to talk about tonight. And the first issue was something that I actually got off the racks. I think I probably bought it from like a quick stop or something like that. So I have a lot of fond memories of it, and I pimped it out on my top 10 Transformers stories over on History of Comics on Film. So I guess we'll find out tonight if I'm just the crazy old man who likes Slingshot, or if the other fan holes like these stories as well, or if they're going to, you know, rag on me for liking Slingshot. So we'll, we'll find out in, the, in a moment. Just to get started, I guess we'll go into a brief synopsis of each issue. There's three issues in total, and after that point, I guess we'll, you know, discuss and talk about what we thought about the issue and everything. So the first issue for Transformers 3D is titled The Test, and that's written... It's hard to find, like, I think, accurate information on who did the writing and the artwork for it, so if I'm mistaken, you can all help me with tomatoes or cyber tomatoes or whatever they are, but, you know, I'm just doing my best, so... Tim Tobloski and Bob Versani were the two guys that apparently worked on it, and the basic premise for this issue is that the Autobots and the Decepticons are tracking a new energy source on a certain planet, and so they're both detecting, like, high energon signals on that planet, and each team sends out one of their scouts 
for the Autobots, I believe it's Searchlight, one of the Throttle Bots, and then for the Decepticons, it's actually Cyclonus. And eventually, the two factions, of course, come into conflict over this planet and, and the energy that they're detecting. But the reason why they're detecting energy is basically because of these tiny little kind of alien creatures. And, you know, for lack of, of I guess, being, you know, coy about it, like, these creatures basically shit Energon, I guess, so that's what the Autobots and Decepticons are detecting. Their their waste excrement is what actually produces energy, so so it's like, hey, you, you know, you, it's like whoever is into, you know, getting drunk on Energon, they're like, oh, you know, you, you shit Energon, like, you're gonna be my pal or whatever, but I guess it's also kind of a perspective thing with the issue where, each creature gets to observe the, either the Autobots or the Decepticons in their own environment, and they don't actually reveal until the conclusion of the story that they're actually intelligent creatures. They're not just animals that poop out Energon. They actually, you know, are, are basically, you know, human-level, you know, or higher intelligences that, you know, basically are actually revealed to be working for the Quinnisons. And so, I mean, that that's kind of the basic gist of what actually happens in the story. It, it seems like there are some detractors for, for this series of comics because it doesn't seem to hold to any strict continuity. It doesn't really quite follow the comic books. It doesn't really fight, quite follow the cartoons or anything like that. I mean, I, I would say that it's more in line with the cartoon than anything else because you've got, like, characters like Ratbat, and they're not obviously talking, they're not a senator, they're not starting car washes of doom. You've got that kind of aspect where, you know, Ratbat's just kind of the spy animal of Soundwave. As a bat, Ratbat can hide in crevices that Laserbeak can't reach, and he's especially effective in tunnels, caves, or in the darkness of space. Ratbat reports on the Autobots' most carefully guarded secrets. I mean, otherwise, it seems like Ultra Magnus is the one who's kind of in charge of the Autobots, and, and there's this kind of interesting twist where they, they do mention Rodimus, but yeah, yeah, it, it like seems Superman things like maybe Rodimus will show up later. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I thought of it more as instead of a Superman thing, like more of it, like a He-Man Captain Marvel thing. Like if, if the darkest hour should occur, then he'll step up to the plate and like, you know, say Shazam or something and turn into Rodimus prime. And then, you know, it, 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 they kind of suggest like he could summon Rodimus at will or something. So that that's kind of how I always viewed it. Like like Hot Rod is Prince Adam, and then you know, fabulous Matrix secrets were revealed to me. You know, that they you know opened up the Matrix, you know, or whatever. Yeah. yeah so so that that's kind of how I <laughs> took it. And then uh, you know, I mean, as far as Fortress Maximus and Scorponok, like they're also involved in the story and and serve as the kind of transport slash bases for for the two groups but they're not they're not quite heavily developed in this i i would say this issue leans more towards the the cartoons and that you know they're they're not super intelligent and they're not quite dumb but but they're just kind of the transports i mean i I guess part of the reason why this is on my top ten list, at least this first issue, is a lot of it has to do with nostalgia. Like, I really enjoyed reading the comic book. And it also is kind of on the cusp of, 
or, or maybe the the outskirts of season three. And being a big fan of season three, it had a lot of characters that that I had a great deal of affection for. You know, Hot Rod being one of them, Ultra Magnus. You you had Galvatron and Cyclonus and. You know, Fortress Maximus and Scorponok are kind of echoes of, of the Headmasters. So, you know, I guess if you consider that season four, it's it's trailing off into that arena a little bit. But I mean, that that's basically the the main sort of plot of the story. So, I, I guess at this point, I'll just open it up to the folks that have done the homework and read it, and you know, see see what their take on it is, and if I'm a crazy old man who likes Slingshot, or if they maybe enjoyed uh, checking out this interpretation of the Transformers as well. With sufficient energon, we can rescue him, and the Decepticons will rise again! That's it, Astro Train! These few scraps you give today will power the Decepticons to conquest of Cybertron, and then the galaxy! Give, my fellow Decepticons, give to it hurts! What do you think about Cyclone as being a dick, Mike? <laughs> He's, like, not the uh, loyal, like, you know... It's kind of a, yeah... Very, yeah, he's kind of like a dope in this, almost. He's kind of like Marvel UK, or like Japanese, like Headmasters, Cyclonus, where he's kind of a dummy, and he's kind of like, I don't know, yeah, and he's kind of, yeah, like a jerk and stuff, and Galvatron is kind of not fond of him, I guess. It's like Galvatron is more fond of Ratbat, it seems yeah. like. Ratbat's his, like, pet or whatever. Yeah, he, he, take, he took over the, like, laser beak role for some reason. I, I did like Searchlight being featured. That was kind of cool. He was okay. I'm gonna go ahead and bring up like kind of an elephant in the room on this one. The art was pretty weird. It, it they they fluctuate as we go into like later issues, which we will go into. This one was kind of cartoony with their faces and stuff. And, yeah, I, I would agree with that assessment. I mean, I don't I don't know about. I, I never thought of it as weird, but it's definitely cartoony. I mean, I, I would even think it's kind of similar to how they they draw you know more than meets the eye occasionally like how they try to bring some some element of personality to the to the characters but i mean that's just how i kind of see it well it, it was just weird for the time because you got used to like the like you know transformers comic in the u.s which was like yeah well it's definitely yeah, yeah it's definitely a far cry from bob Fedinsky and and this is before uh andrew wildman really started drawing transformers with spittle and and kind of a lot more human personification. So, I mean, I, I guess it is, I guess, especially at the time, it probably is a jarring difference than what you're used to. And obviously the, the cover seems to replicate like the toy box art. So yeah, the yeah, cover yeah. is kind of disparate with, with what's actually inside the, the pages. So I will say like, at least like the story, it did seem kind of silly, but when they revealed the quintessence at the end, I was like, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Like with the the cartoon, I was like, oh, that's that's kind of a very Quintesson kind of thing. You know, it's kind of cool. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So I, I will give I mean, it that. I, I was I was definitely interested to see where it would have gone. And and the funny part was, as a kid, I don't think I ever saw any of those other issues on the rack. So I was always kind of sad. I thought there weren't any more issues. And then I think later in life as an adult, I found like the other two issues. And and was you know we'll get into this later. But I, I was kind of disappointed the story didn't really continue you know so so i i, I kind of i guess feel Mid sad that I, I was never able to see that opportunity yeah. 
Well, well, it seemed like they built a certain world for Transformers, and yes, it wasn't exactly like the Marvel comics, and yes, it wasn't exactly like the Sunbow cartoon. But I was, I was kind of curious. Like, I'd want to see this instance where Hot Rod actually summons Rodimus. I mean, they hinted at it, yeah. but I, I was, just, I would be curious to see, like, how does that happen? Like, what is the darkest hour? You know, is it, is it when Lord Imperius Delirious like gets all the power in the world, and then? He steps up and summons Rod. You know, like I'm just curious, like how that would have actually gone down. You know, had had it happened. So yeah, I mean, it, it it was definitely like a different take. I'll give it that. They they definitely did not go with the Marvel version of the characters. Like like Scourge is like apparently the loyal one, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. It you know, seems like, like oh. yeah, like all three issues. It seems like the the rules and the like universe changes in each issue almost. Yeah, yeah. Like they yeah, all, they yeah. all do seem like part of the cartoon, like more more skewed towards the cartoon universe. But like, yeah, stuff really drastically changes. Yeah, 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 definitely. And even even between issue to issue, things do change. So, yeah, the the, the first issue is is, is kind of cut and dry, though. I mean, there's not a whole lot to talk about. I, I think probably one of the things that is interesting is like the little cre- critters who like you know you know they remind me of uh, the little uh, I forgot what their name Derek you'll know the name but the little uh, lizard guys in uh, Usagi Ujimbo. Oh yeah 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 I know what you're talking about I I don't remember what their names are but those little kind of animals that yeah. he, lizard dudes that he cuts up and eats yeah they totally <laughs> look like that. Uh, I, I didn't even think of that. Like the, the other thing I was thinking of was, and I don't, I don't know that I, I know they've done comic adaptions of it, so I can't remember what they look like in there. But it kind of reminds me of like the way they described those force draining creatures in the Timothy Zahn novels. Oh, like the, uh, the, you know, they're the just Yisilami. Yisilamiri. Yeah, however you pronounce it, like that, those creatures like are supposed to be tiny and small, and they basically steal force (laughs) powers or negate them or something. It's like leech for the force or something like that. I guess it's it's kind of counter to that. They actually produce the lifeblood of the Transformers, but you know, I I, yeah. Either way, like 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 they're 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 like they're specimens, but like the one of them is like the Autobots treated me really well, and the other one's like, oh, the Decepticons are kind of assholes. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely world builds because you've got this new alien species that that is introduced into the Transformers universe. So it's kind of cool. It's like, yeah, you've got the Quintessons and Sharkticons and things like that, but uh, now you've got these little guys too, and they're they're basically whether the Autobots realized it or not, or the Decepticons, they are kind of major players. They they were just sort of you know like the Transformers themselves in disguise, you know, sort of. Yeah. pretending to just be kind of, you know, dumb animals when in fact they were not. So I know I know I've seen like the 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 uh plot element of like some creatures like having a waste product that's incredibly useful or something before in like science fiction. Uh, but I, I think be, uh, I, that'd be Nibbler from Futurama. Yeah, I was going to say the Nibblonians, yeah, they they produce dark matter but I like even before that, like I'm pretty sure there's another thing I've seen where that that trope was used, but yeah. I can't and, remember where. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think that one is kind of like it didn't take me out of it, Derek. I mean, it wasn't really a bad story. I mean, I, I've read worse, you know, Car Wash of Doom, for example. It was really weird seeing some characters go against type. However, though, I will say one thing: I am one of the like old school Ultra Magnus fans. 
I was really, like, you know, annoyed that he, like, always got the whole, like, I can't deal with that now, you know, bullshit when, like, he was in G1. It was kind of nice to see him actually be a good leader in this one. He was actually competent and stuff, and I was like... Oh, well, that's nice. That's a that's a that's a change from type, you know. But it's much better than like, oh, such a beautiful planet. Hand me the bomb, you know. <laughs> Ultra Magnus is the most mature spokesman for the Autobot cause. As a soldier, he is always practical and serious. Move out, but be careful. Yeah, I I, I thought in that world they built. I would have been interested in seeing that progress. But since it didn't, then it's just one of those like sort of bittersweet things for me where it's like, oh, I remember this when I was a kid and thought it was really interesting and, you know, took certain things at face value, I think, because I I think I was at the point where I knew that the Marvel comic didn't quite gel with the Sunbow cartoon. I mean, it was 1987. I mean, you, you sort of knew that. Like, so seeing this interpretation, it wasn't like when I was younger and I was trying to, like, wrap my brain around why you know, Shockwave was was smacking a water tower into Megatron's wounds in one comic, and then in the cartoon he was basically the loyal lieutenant who was going to safeguard Cybertron. I was sort of beyond that by this point, and and just kind of took took that story at face value. Yeah, I, I think that's one thing that actually surprised me because I hadn't actually read these before, and I was actually surprised that they had gone from season three on. I, I thought it was going to be like you know. Ironhide, Ratchet, what are we doing here? Oh, Spike. You know, I thought they were going to take the established characters, but the fact that they actually did go kind of season three and four, it was kind of nice. It was kind of cool. Yeah, I guess I guess since you bring up Ironhide, I guess this is as good a time as any to <laughs> move on to, to the next issue. The next issue was also published in 1987. It's issue number two. Unfortunately, um, unless you guys can correct me, because I know you, you guys have, have read the issue as well, I don't see any title to speak of. Like, I looked and tried to see if there was anything on the cover or anything in the Indicia or anything like that. I don't see a title. So as far as I know, there's no title to speak of. The writer was Andrea LaFrance, and the artist supposedly was Dennis Francis. This version, I I did a little more detailed synopsis, so bear with me. But basically, it opens up with the Decepticons heading to Space Station Exton 9, and they want to use their suspension ray on the unsuspecting, quote-unquote, fleshlings, so they can make them their slaves. This is going to be important later. That's why I sort of highlighted the term fleshlings. <laughs> and it, it looks as if Razor Claw takes out a sea of potential slaves by vaporizing them. Like, I almost thought, like, holy crap, he just, like, blew away, like, 50 billion people. But it turns out they're merely enthralled by the suspension ray. Uh, I guess maybe it was like the black and white art and it was kind of confusing me or whatever. But I, I at first I was like, man, did he kill all those people? But he didn't. So they're all enthralled in this suspension ray. And then meanwhile, we're introduced to four kids in, as they like to say on Gundam, normal suits. And they're late for their <laughs> science class. And they discover this Decepticon plot because they see all these, you know, fellow people brainwashed. And they're attempting to stop it by using this MacGuffin, and it's called the Prism of Power. And apparently this contains all the knowledge of the galaxy in a crystal. So it's pretty much kind of like a sunstone from Superman, you know. It's one of these little crystals, and it's like, this has our entire people's history and knowledge and wisdom in it or whatever. And I was trying to take down, like, the names of all four kids. I only got two of the names, 
that one of the kids' names was Allie, and one of the kids' names was Fawn, and yeah. then there are two other kids, and and they they're pretty much like Bendis kids, like they're all interchangeable. It probably doesn't matter who says what, like, but, <laughs> well, but well, just well, like kids. I said, like I said before the uh, show started, one of the kids' names is apparently "Shut up, you coward." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like, so you're just like, all right. Luckily for these kids, the Autobot Cosmos, who turns into like a little sort of flying saucer, he shows up to help, and he agrees that he's going to take the kids to their home planet, Andalore, so that they can look for this prism. And then, out of nowhere, Cosmos and the kids are attacked by space vultures. It's a thing. Space vultures are a thing. And the space vultures are draining Cosmos's energy. <laughs> they look nothing like birds at all. <laughs> right, right. They, they look nothing like birds. And, uh, you know, basically evoking rat trap, like, uh, years before Beast Wars ever came on, there, there's, like, this splash page where all the, the vultures are, are draining his energy, and it, it kind of evokes the, like, we're all gonna die type thing. Like, that's kind of the vibe I got out of it. And basically, so they're trying to avoid them. They crash into this asteroid, and they get stuck. And the Decepticons are after them, and Scorponok unintentionally frees them, because he's like, I hate you Autobots. But he ends up, like, freeing them from the asteroid when he fires on them. And then Cyclonus and Scorponok uh, here are, are very, very on the toy model, like in this artwork where they, they look pretty much just like the box art and, and, and yeah, look exactly like the toys. Yeah. And they're basically deciding, okay, we need to destroy this prism that the Autobots and these kids are after because it could totally like mess up their plans to enslave I guess, all the fleshlings in the universe or whatever. And then, I guess they make their way to Andalore, and Octane is one of the Decepticons that's following Cosmos and the kids. And there's this weird monster that takes out Octane. And the other Decepticons are basically about to destroy Cosmos and the kids, and then... The ghost of Ironhide shows up <laughs> to save them. I, I, I'm making a joke, but Ironhide shows up to save the kids in Cosmos. And if, I guess, you were following this comic as some kind of narrative, you would think, you know, based on Cyclonus and Scorponok and even Cosmos, like, he, he'd still be around by this point. And based on the events of the first issue with Galvatron and Hot Rod and Ultra Magnus, you, you'd kind of think this is a, a kind of post season three era, you know, so you would imagine that, you know, as in Transformers the movie, Ironhide is dead, but in this particular issue, and as we've discussed, th these comics don't really follow or adhere to any kind of strict continuity, they don't really belong anywhere, so, you know, Ironhide's there, and he's going to save them. Now, this is why I highlighted the term fleshling, because it kind of bugs me, because Ironhide's like, Get them fleshlings out of the way, Cosmos. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, I I always kind of thought of it as like fleshling is like a derogatory term, like you know any any nasty derogatory term you can think of that that you don't like <laughs> hearing other people called. I imagine the Decepticons call 
human beings or earthlings, fleshlings in that same tone. So I was kind of like, well, it's kind of weird that a heroic Autobot is is using what I perceive as like a derogatory well, term. Well, Ironhide came back from the dead, but it cost him his soul, so he doesn't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a he's a mean, nasty son of a bitch because because he's a ghost. So so basically, Ironhide defends the kids from Scorponok, and this Grog the Hydra alien protects the Prism of Power, and then of course to gain access to this Prism of Power, he asks them this sage riddle, which is it cannot be touched. Tasted or heard, it might not exist at all, except that its strength has laid low the greatest of titans. All live under its reign, and eventually, Fleshling, he's, he's apparently derogatory too, Autobot and Decepticon will fall before its just hand. The answer is, is fan holes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, the answer is Susudio. No, it is it, it's time. So basically, the the little girl figures it out. Like the answer's time. The Hydra alien is like, okay, that's great. Here you go. Here's the prism, and they get get it on loner, I guess, for forty eight hours to save Exton Nine. And so they <laughs> Netflix power to them. <laughs> yeah, you got to bring it back to the. You got to bring the prism of power back to the red box, or else you will be charged late fees. <laughs> So, so they return to the space station. Um, Ironhide fights Razorclaw. Cosmos somehow distracts Galvatron. Ironhide shoots Galvatron. And then the kids use the prism, and they free their parents and their people. And that's pretty much the end of the story. I mean, Cosmos says goodbye, and it, it's a teary farewell and all that kind of stuff. And that's basically the end. I mean, I mean, for me, the, the only other thing that I could think of that this evokes is in the Marvel Comics run when those four kids were on Skylinks. And yeah, Skylink's just carrying them around. Yeah, yeah, I got that really. So, I mean, I, 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 I don't know exact, like, I, I don't know if that came out in 1987 or not. I'm trying to remember, but I, I imagine, what, 85, 86, 87, and usually there's about 12 issues, so it, it might have been it's right around issued, the same time. It's issue 36. Yeah, so, I mean, I would imagine it came out around the same time, but I don't know if if that's intentional or, or kind of a swipe or what, but... I, that, that's the. I think Mike would agree with me. This is this is a very episode like G one episode friendly kind. Of, you could see this being a G one episode. Yeah, two random yeah. Autobots. Yeah, and a yeah, bunch yeah. of Decepticons. Yeah, protect a bunch of humans from a thing. Yeah, it's pretty simple. <laughs> yeah, and, and nothing means anything. <laughs> I will I will say like the first couple of pages though with like the the not human aliens who look like humans. Me and Mike were making fun of that. They're aliens who look just like humans. The enthralling thing it, it did kind of give me a B movie vibe. I kind of like that. It kind of like the nineteen fifties, you know. Like Tony, they're Extonians from Exton Nine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I was like. That. I was I was just thinking how like man like they really took like Ironhide's like name at like face value like he gets shot like by Galvatron, Scorponok, like Razorclaw, yeah. and that he does not get hurt at all in this story. Maybe he really was a ghost. He was just like none none of their fire hurts him basically. It wasn't a joke. It is the ghost of Ironhide. I didn't get shot in the movie. Fuck that. <laughs> I remember the time on Cybertron. Ooh. 
I, w- I will say yeah. this was a fun. This was a fun issue. This was like, I'm like you, Darius. Kind of let down. They didn't like go right into the Quintesson thing. But at the same time, I mean, like, 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 yeah, like I said to Mike, this is kind of like a G1 episode or a G1 comic. It's like totally standalone. Doesn't mean shit. It's not going to like. Yeah, yeah, go, yeah. Well, it's, yeah. A, it's a done in one. Yeah. You know, so you you don't have to know too much about it other than the Autobots are the good guys and the Decepticons are the bad guys. You know, and anything else you really need to know, they they pretty much fill you in on, except for the Bendis kids who are all basically interchangeable, and you only <laughs> find out two of the four kids' names. But otherwise, I mean, it's. Well, that, that did throw me though, because like Mike said, you know, they look human, and like, and like Ali and Fawn, I'm like, what the fuck country are they from? Oh, they're aliens. Okay, never mind. Because <laughs> like Ali, I was like, okay, that's kind of an Arabic name, you know, Ali, you know, Ali, you know, and then like Fawn, I'm like, what the fuck is a Fawn? <laughs> you know? It's like it's a phone. <laughs> I don't know. We're we're yeah. missing a vowel, but you know. One thing that's interesting that, well, not really interesting, is kind of funny. There's like nine pages of damn ads after the story. Well, they're trying to sell all their other yeah, yeah. 3D comics and everything. So, I mean, I, I think for these, when, when I was a kid, I bought the Transformers series. I bought the the Star Wars 3D series. I know I bought a few issues of the G.I. Joe 3D series. And again, the, the, you know, similarly, these were not congruous with, any, you know, Marvel G.I. Joe stories and they're, you know, they, they actually what was interesting about it was they often used characters. I don't think that those cartoons or comics ever really touched. Like, I think the G.I. Joe 3D one had like a story about Crystal Ball and Psych Out. And it was like, uh-huh. those were characters that like nobody touched with a 10 foot pole. So it was like, it didn't really matter. Well, you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. Despite his fan or like they they reference six, six shit shot, um, six shot, shit shot, shit shot. Is that is that uh, Optimus Primal's uh, secret code name for all the angry G one fans? <laughs> shit shot, yeah, shit shot. But they reference uh, Six Shot, and yeah, he had like a cameo at best in season four. And he, as far as I know, Mike, he didn't really do a whole lot in like the Marvel universe, really. I don't think he ever showed up in Marvel. Yeah, yeah, and he actually got at least like you know, uh, again the glorified cameo. But yeah, he was actually there. You know, it was like yeah, okay, well that's kind of cool. You know, I'll, I'll give him that. You know, so yeah. Well, like I said, like it seemed it seemed like all the power levels were kind of out of whack in this issue, like. Like, you wouldn't think, like, in anyone who has any working knowledge of Transformers, like, how could a, just Ironhide and Cosmos stand up to, like, Galvatron, <laughs> Scorponok, Cyclonus, yeah, Six-Shot, and, like, Razorclaw, like, just the two of them, and... and they they it, do I don't a know. fine job, yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of like, you know, the, the <laughs> writer seemed to be approaching it from the perspective that, well, they're the good guys, so, you know, they're going to win anyway, so it doesn't matter how few of them there are or whatever. Well, maybe maybe Ironhide has, like, Spectre-level powers now that he's a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you forget, my, there's one important thing. They were trying. <laughs> they were trying. They were they trying. They were doing their best. They were doing what they could. Yeah, they were like I. I mean, like like I said, it's not a bad story. I, I've I, again, I've read worse, you know, and, and I would put this solely into a category of I read it, 
didn't get me pissed off. It was, yeah, just just a one-off, just a fun little story. You know, it was like, as long as you don't go too deep into it, you're okay. If you do go in the Ironhide's ghost and, like, Galvatron shooting a point blank, you're like, why the fuck did he die in the movie? You know, yeah, but... <laughs> Hey, that's that's my explanation. I'm sticking to it. I I just think I think of this as as uh, leaps and and bounds above Transformers Armada Carnival and I'll somewhere around <laughs> so somewhere around like a, a decent semi good episode of season two of the original G1 show. So you know, I, I, I it's it's okay. If, I mean, if, it's, if you it's, like it's Ironhide, it is. is a good is a good issue. Totally. If you love Ironhide, this is this is your this is your '80s love for Ironhide right here. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the only thing that would drive anybody crazy is if they were they were dead set on continuity issues. You know, they they'd be going insane about why is an Ironhide dead or something. And and like Mike's saying, like why is Ironhide able to stand up to arguably three of the most powerful Decepticons <laughs> there are in existence at that given time? You know, but uh, but if you can sort of get past that and just kind of take it at face value, then it's it's you know it's okay. Yeah. There's one level of continuity before you go on to issue three. Cyclonus still kind of a dick in this one. <laughs> he is he is kind of a dick. Yeah, they keep that going. I don't know why, but anyway, we should, we we will probably move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you brought up Six Shot, and and I know he's got a, a a panel or two in this this next issue. The the final issue that was made available of Transformers 3D was issue number three, and not counting any of the like how to draw type issues that were published. And this was titled War with the Destructons Part One of I think it was supposed to be like a three part story, but of course this was the last issue they made. So we we, <laughs> they, we will never the hell out of that shit, didn't they? <laughs> Yeah, that we will. You cannot read the continuing adventures of the Destructons in Black Thorn 3D comics because there are no more Black Thorn 3D comics after this. The writers, uh, the writer's name was John Williams, and the artist's name was Dante Fugit. The the comic starts with these twin spires that are showing up all over the galaxy. It's very reminiscent of Kubrick's 2001 with like the little black obelisk just showing up out of nowhere because it's like, oh hey, look. There's these two weird spires here all of a sudden. And basically who I'm gonna who I'm going to describe as the the space Israelis and the space Palestinians, they get into <laughs> some kind of fight because I, I I was like I'm reading it and it's hard to like even tell the different alien races yeah, apart. Apparently, dark, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, apparently they they get into a skirmish. Like I think one of them are supposed to be like nice, friendly scientists, so we'll call those the space Israelis. And then and then the other aliens fire on them, and we'll call them the space Palestinians. And they get into this fight, and because of that. One party ends up releasing these evil Destructons from the Spires, because I guess kind of like the Phantom Zone or something, they were containing the Destructons. So, and and the uh, the text actually describes them as fierce, organic, metal beasts. So, and and there's four Destructons in total, and they do all have names. There is Bruton. There's Medusa, who looks the most organic of the bunch. Like she kind of looks like the Medusa from Greek legend almost, because yeah, she's got a little snake. snake tail and she's got like a sort of Medusa look or whatever. There's this kind of, I guess, movie drift looking guy named Psychocon, who looks kind of like this 
evil samurai or something. And then, of course, as Mike has hinted at or mentioned outright, there is the most evil, heinous leader of <laughs> the Destructons, Lord Imperius Delirious. So so all four of those guys kind of are in this little, uh, it's not a splash page, but it's kind of a, a big featured panel that's very large. Yeah, right to a guy who like looks up stuff in a rhyming dictionary to make himself sound cool, you know? Daniel, my friend, our journey is at an end. Well, you know what they say. Any landing you can walk away from is a good one. It doesn't matter if you're a space Israeli or a space Palestinian, because they destroy them all. But not before one of them launches this warning beacon to a planet called Tau Ursa. And then there's this weird Wally-looking robot that is named Monitorus. Basically, it's like a message in a bottle, like this frantic beacon. And he just kind of is like, yeah, whatever. Like, who cares? <laughs> Like, he doesn't really give a shit, and, and he's more concerned about his invention that increases energon particles. So he goes back to working on his machine. And I, I don't know pretty if we'll much leaves into... his wallet on the floor. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if we'll get into a fight on this. I'm going to say that it's Laserbeak that's spying on Monotaurus, oh, yeah, yeah. but yeah, Mike yeah, may that. fight me and, and suggest that it's Buzzsaw, because... Buzzsaw is awesome or something, so I, I didn't know, but, but I'm just naturally going to assume it's Laserbeak. And then Galvatron and the Decepticon Target Masters basically bust in to steal the device for themselves. And, of course, the, the one bit of continuity, I guess, in all these three issues is Cyclonus, because, once again, Cyclonus is a Decepticon Target Master, and he's there with Slugslinger and Misfire and Scourge and all these other dudes that are trying to, to steal this device that increases energon particles. And Slugslinger's there, and he threatens to kill one of Monotaurus's buddies unless he hands over the device. And Galvatron's master plan is to use that device to make another MacGuffin called the Nullification Cannon, which is basically going to be used to destroy the Autobots. And I guess the idea is they will nullify all the energon on Cybertron, and this will put a crimp in the Autobots' plans. And then we cut, naturally, to Cybertron and the Autobots. And this is the first time we actually get to see Optimus Prime. And, and th in some sense, this does seem to continue that trend of following Rebirth in some sense. Yeah, he's but not. back, yeah, yeah. You know, Prime is back. Hoist and First Aid are there, and apparently they're tending to his wounds. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe they're they're fresh off of the rebirth or something. I don't know. But, you know, that that's kind of the vibe you get. Like, he was just, he just came back and just did some cool stuff, and he's already wounded, and they're tending to him and everything. And, you know, Hot Rod is there providing the exposition where he's, like, saying, it's good to have you back, Optimus, like, because obviously he's been away because he wasn't he wasn't in the last two issues and you know to most fans of the continuity in the the Sunbow cartoon he was dead for a while and then came back and then of course Blur speeds into the room that they're in with Monotaurus and they're reporting about how the Decepticon target masters have attacked Tau Ursa and then here here you go Tony this is where Six Shot and some other Decepticons show up and they start attacking Prime and the Autobots. And meanwhile, Galvatron's using that distraction as an opportunity to enable the nullification cannon. So then we get a scene of Mr. Prime, as I'm going to call him, 
you know, wringing his fucking hands because Galvatron, <laughs> Galvatron grabs Slug Slinger when Prime comes after him, throws him in the path of fire, and is like, go die for me like a good warrior should. Yeah, and Slug yeah. like gets basically destroyed. And so he's hanging off this ledge with his one good arm. And then, of course, Prime's like, hmm, should I go after Galvatron? <laughs> or, or maybe I should actually, like, help this guy who tried, who threatened to kill, like, uh, innocent race and all this other shit. If and he's Prime like, was still well, European, he'd be like, just the facts. <laughs> yeah, I, he's not the just the facts Prime. He's the, he's the Mr. Prime. He's the wringing his hands Hamlet Prime where he's like, well, I don't know. I guess I should go back and help him because then I'd be... If I left him, I'd be no better than Galvatron, you know? And it's just like, dude, whatever. It's Slug Slinger. You'll get over it, you know? Anyway, so that, that basically causes a crimp, and Galvatron's able to get away. And Galvatron rightfully calls Prime, you predictable fool, you know, and kind of chuckles and runs off and everything. And in the meantime, uh, Hot Rod and Blur are fighting with Ape Face. Rewind is featured as the Autobot historian, and they're basically all talking about the Legends on, the Destructons, and this other race called the Logicons, and as Autobot historian rewinds, kind of like, well, I thought these were just myths, like, not real, and and so they're all kind of saying, well, they must be real, because now, you know, we're, we're hearing about these Destructon guys. They're fucking here, man. <laughs> you know, they're, they're here, so they're not myths and everything. And Optimus is basically assigning all these roles and duties. So, you know, he, you know, obviously Hot Rod has his own team with Blur that's fighting with Ape Face. And then Optimus is going to have his own team and Ultra Magnus is going to have a team. In the background, instead of Laserbeak or Ratbat as the spy, we've got Pounce and Wingspan, who are the Decepticon clones. And this would also kind of insinuate this is a you know, post-Headmasters era comic book. And, and so you've got Pounce and Wingspan, the Decepticon clones, who are caught spying, but they manage to escape. But I guess they don't get all the information that they were wanting, like coordinates and secret information on the Autobots that they were assigned to steal. And so we cut back to Decepticon headquarters. And this is an odd turn of events because this is kind of almost... Japanese headmaster territory here, where it kind of appears like Galvatron is in thrall to Lord Zarek and Scorponok because they have this conversation about how Galvatron's not really running the Decepticons anymore, and you know Zarek basically merges with Scorponok and is this huge giant robot, almost kind of evoking the the same imagery of Unicron transforming when Galvatron was standing on his planet mode and him kind of you know, being in awe of it. Yeah, and it, it kind, kind of feeds into, like, season four when, like, you know, Scorponaut's like, you know, Lord Zarek is like, we shall see, Galvatron, we shall yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. And, and even in the Japanese headmasters, there's that, you know, disparity where, you know, Scorponaut's just waiting for Galvatron to fucking fall into the holding hands ice lake of doom or whatever, you know, <laughs> and and take over. So so there's there's those elements to it. Of the teams, uh, Ultra Magnus' team has Cup and the Monster Bots, and they're off fighting Cyclonus and the Terracons. And the Terracons end up forming Abominus, and this is too much, I guess, for that team. And so Skylinks is there extracting Magnus' team. Instead of 
worrying about the Decepticons, they decide they need to actually go after the Destructcon or Destructcons. I can't even Destructons. Sorry, I can't even, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I can't even say it after I say Decepticons five million times. <laughs> anyway, so and and of course, Cup being the old war torn hero who remembers everything, he recalls fighting the Destructons a long time ago because he's Cup. And it turns out PsychoCon is yeah. He is remembers him. Yeah, samurai like they they were arch rivals, I guess, a long time ago or whatever. So he's like, I'm 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 your old nemesis back to to engage you and and fight you and everything. And the monster bots and Ultra Magnus, you know, continue to to fight and everything alongside Cup. But the Destructons obviously are supposed to be the, the new big bad, so they're very, very powerful, and they decide, the Autobots decide, that they have to retreat back to Skylinks. And then here's another kind of epic jaw-dropping moment where, you know, Cup's like, forget about me, like, go on to Skylinks. And so... Get to the all top the other, <laughs> Yeah, pretty much, like, all the other Autobots get on Skylinks and, and Cup buys them the time they need and the Destructons, you know, basically snuff Cup out. And then Prime and his team, like the Autobot clones, like Fastlane and Cloudraker, they go to Decepticon headquarters because their goal is they want to destroy the nullification cannon. And even though Optimus Prime is trying to do his best solid snake, Scorponok and Galvatron still get the drop on him. And Prime somehow like destroys the cannon. I I, I didn't really follow the train. It's well, like a, he's Prime, you know. That, 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 well, yeah. it's like they're they're fighting. I I don't mean that I doubt Prime's ability to destroy the it's cannon. Just the I panel just, layout, yeah. It's kind yeah, of I didn't really follow what was going on in the panel layout. It's like some 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 fire is exchanged and and some some action takes place and then all of a sudden it's like in the dialogue it's like oh yeah i got it got the cannon like and I'm kind of like well, when did that happen nailed it and, yeah it's like you know got it you know you're just like what 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 when but anyway so prime because he's prime you know he, he took out the the cannon and everything and then we cut back to magnus's team and ultra magnus decides which should be uh a moment of pleasure for, for Mike, maybe, that they need to rival Fusion with Cyclonus's team so that they both can survive the onslaught of Destructons. And then, of course, Cyclonus has, to me, the quote of the comic right here. I'm going to try to do my best Cyclonus. Have you lost your larger circuits? Autobots and Decepticons are enemies! So he's he's freaking out, like going, "Are you are you crazy?" But Magnus convinces Cyclonus that they need to have a truce, and it looks like he's about to agree. But in the background, you can see as they're almost shaking hands, all the Destructons are just ready to pile on. You know the, these two groups, uh, Autobots and Decepticons, that have just formed the truce. And of course, in the bottom caption, it says, "Next issue: Union of the Transformers." And like we mentioned, there is no next issue. But that's that's the end of our little synopsis. And of course, we're going to open it up to uh, Mike and Tony. What are your thoughts on Lord Imperius Delirious and his band of crazy Destructons whose names I can never pronounce every other word? Man, I will say this right now. 
this took me by surprise. Because the first two issues were pretty much just character things, kind of fun. It, it, like they were like even the Quintesson uh, issue was just like you know, kind of a throwaway after they didn't do anything more with it. This was so dense. This was almost Furman-esque. I mean, I'm not saying it's a great story. I'm not saying like oh my god, best Transformers story ever. But they did a lot of really good things in this. I was like, I'm. I'm like you, Derek. I was like, I was interested in this. I want to see what goes on. I mean, yeah, Destructons, Logicons, maybe not the best names or anything like that, but still, at the same time, yeah, it was interesting. I wanted to see what happened. It was it was really well-paced. I, I liked it. I mean, I thought it was really good. It definitely felt like a follow-up to, like, Rebirth or something, and, like, you know, yeah, like, all those, like, lines about, yeah, like... Oh, Galvatron isn't leading the Decepticons now, and like Scorponok kind of threatens him and bullies him around and whatnot. And yeah, yeah like Optimus Prime just got back, and yeah, it, it, it was kind of yeah, like it, it seemed like the season premiere of season you know four or, or five or whatever kind of I guess. And it definitely had like the cleanest, like most consistent art too. Yeah, I really like the art in this one. It, it actually looked like Budiansky in a way. I mean, not, you know, panel for panel, but, like, it was really good art. I mean, I actually really appreciated it. Like and, classic, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, like old school stuff. Frank yeah. Springer, almost, or something, yeah. Yeah, I, I I feel really bad that they didn't go forward with it because I was like, man, that's, that's I mean, it's not the most, you know, enveloping thing. The, the uh, Destructons, they remind me of the Reavers. Remember them, Mike? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, these big bads who are just big bads to be big bads, but sometimes having a big bad is just fun, you know? It's like, oh, they're so fucking heinous, and they're, like, badass, and they, you know, trounced everybody, and maybe I'm wrong on calling this, but I think this is actually one of the few times where, like, you know, I I, I know Scorponok and, like, Marvel was wanting to, like, have peace between Transformers, but, like, this is the first time outside of, like, the cartoon where, like, they were like, okay, we have to, like, you know, band together, inside the cartoon, I should say, band together to fight, like, the common menace. It was like the Doctor Doom and Reed Richards, like, oh, I want to rule the world, but I want the I don't want the world destroyed, so I'll team up with you, Reed Richards, that kind of thing, you know, it was like, these guys are worse than us, you know. So, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, not, not, not amazing, not super awesome, but intriguing, you know, interesting, yeah. Was that what you were going with, Derek? Did you actually, like, is that what kind of pulled you into this series? Like, the the fact that, like... I, I will say this. They stepped up their game on this issue. I thought it was, like, much better than the first two. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I mean, not to be, you know, making a light of it, but, I mean, you know, who wouldn't want to know what happens with Lord Imperius Delirious? I mean, come yeah. on. Like, yeah. I mean, it, you, it, it does evoke certain things that happen later in Transformers. I mean, there, there's, or, or even in Transformers as we've talked about it, I mean, it does present that third-party faction that, throws a monkey wrench in the the regular Autobot fight Decepticon, smash Autobot, smash Decepticon dynamic. You know, it's like once you've got that third party, whether it's a Quintesson or Zartan or these guys, the Destructons, you know, it's like, oh, hey, this is is something new. And they were even talking about the Logicons. Like, you start to wonder, oh, how are those going to help out? the the Autobots like is that going to result yeah. in any new transformations or any new characters maybe, like maybe the you know, who knows yeah. 
Yeah, you know, maybe the Logicons are like, hey, you know, scratching head, like, it might be kind of cool if you have some guy, like, turn into your head, you know, and they'd be like, yes, it is logical, you know, which it's not, but, you know, they can sell toys or whatever. Yeah, that's so, always fun. I mean, you know. Yeah, it's like, yeah. the Autobots wage their battle to destroy the evil forces of, who the fuck are those guys? Yeah, so, or, or <laughs> Breastmasters or, or whatever came next. Is it really over, Optimus? I mean, have we seen the end of this war forever? Who can say, Spike, in this vast universe, is anything truly forever? We shall rise again! I was just going to say, highlighting, like like you said, Mr. Prime's like stupidity or whatever... Like, man, even Slug Slinger makes fun of him after Prime saves him and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, you stupid idiot. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. You noob. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to ask you, uh, Mike, even though they didn't get, like, a big, like, huge moment, <clears throat> it was kind of cool to see the Monster Cons, though. That was, I mean, Monster yeah. Bot. Yeah, that was cool. Like, even Rapunkus is like, oh, those guys are even too ugly for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I I had a soft spot for the the monster bots because I I had those. I think I think those were my my consolation prize when when I couldn't find like Grimlock at the store during the season three era. You know, actually, when you were not in your toy phase, I bought all your monster bots. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. But I'm yeah. just I, I I thought that those were you know cool to see them actually in a in a fictional, you know, work as opposed to like, I, I can't think of like, did, did the monster bots ever appear anywhere else? Yeah. Uh, they, they appear were in the Marvel like, comic very briefly. Okay. okay. And then, yeah. Like, and they were, they, they went against, uh, yeah. yeah, they went against like the Dinobots in like that miniseries. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, they, but yeah, they never really had like a big, huge, yeah, thing. So, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, it's yeah. nice to see the monster bots get some love, even if it's just, as part of uh, Magnus's and Cup's team, you know? Yeah, and, and of course Mike really loves Repugnus, which I do too. I think Repugnus is a very undervalued and underappreciated character. Yeah, he's cool looking. Yeah, and he's got like a weird thing. He's like the fucking, uh, what's the best way to put him? Gosh, it's hard to like quantify him. He's he's he's, he's the he's like the dirty Harry of Transformers. He like doesn't mind killing people, and he's a good guy. But, yeah, as far as, like, the first three issues and last three issues of Blackthorn, yeah, the third one was definitely the best. The first two weren't bad. They, the first one, okay, okay, let me rephrase that. The first one was very, okay, I didn't really get into it that much. I thought it was all right. Second one was very cartoony, very G1 cartoon, marvely, and that was, that was fun. But the third one, yeah, I, I kind of want to see what fucking happened, you know? I mean, that's that's a shame that they didn't get to go on, so, yeah. I never personally owned the, these comics, but my friend owned this third issue, and, like, I, I remember reading it at his house, and I remember being like, man, like, i got to find some more of these, and I never did, but, like, much like Derek, yeah, I was disappointed to find out there was only those three issues, and it never continued or whatever. Yeah, I mean the the only other thing I can point to if you have any interest in Blackthorn is that there there are these kind of awkwardly done how to draw Transformers. And <laughs> I think there's there's two issues of that. I think they 
they show you how to draw Predaking in one of them, and I can't remember who they show you how to draw in the other ones, but, you know, but that's basically, yeah, that, I mean, as far as storylines, like, that, this was kind of the swan song, a uh, part one of three that never got finished, so, you know, I guess you can, you can imagine and, and, you know, hope that someday Furbinner James Roberts sticks Lord Imperius Delirious in some kind of comic as a homage, maybe, or something like I, that. I, I could really see Roberts it. doing some kind of weird shit with that at some point, just for just for a one-off, just like Squadron X, that kind of thing, you know, Mike? Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, it'll be like Blackthorn Comics that will be like, no, we own Lord Imperius Delirious. <laughs> you have to pay us, like, copyright to use him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah probably, unfortunately, but yeah. No, they're probably not even a thing anymore, I don't yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, Marvel probably, well, not even Marvel, but Hasbro probably owns all that shit now, so. Cool, all right. Well, I, I mean, I think everybody said their piece on it and, and kind of what they thought. I mean, obviously, you guys were, were much more interested in, in the third issue than the other two, but, I mean, still, I'm, I'm glad we got to uh, touch this this piece of, of Transformers history. Well, no offense, talk but I really feel like you guys didn't give me a chance to talk at all, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, holy cow. I waited the whole effing time. Not once. But go on, go on, do what you want to do. I didn't check the calendar, but today must be every day, but, you know, every fan holds day, but Brian's day or something. So just just go on, guys. That's I'm cool. exactly it. <laughs> now, awesome. Brian, Brian, if it helps, when I saw, like, Fortress Maximus standing really proud and tall, and his, like, penis crank from the toy was in the panel. I was like, Brian would like that. That is poetic. That is. Hey, hey Tony, what, what's the wrestling move that Fortress Maximus does on Scorponok in the first issue? Uh, I, I think it is a – I think it's just a simple suplex, actually, maybe. Nice. Yeah. See, he suplexes Scorponok. See, I'm glad Tony's here to tell me these things. Hmm. So, Cool. All right, well, I, I like I guess this pretty much wraps it up for Transformers Tuesday. So we we hope you enjoyed listening to it. We have lots of other different spin-off shows such as Toku Thursdays, Sentai Saturdays, and Mobile Suit Mondays. We also have the Fan Holes podcast proper. So if you've enjoyed listening to this and this is your first time, like please consider listening to all the other different shows. If you're a regular listener, we appreciate all the feedback and likes and you know tweets and and you know stuff like that. We've got Tumblr. We've got. Uh, Stitcher Radio that we're now on, so if you enjoy using that app, you can follow us on there. We are on iTunes, so you can check us out on there, and feel free to leave a review if you like. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, this is Brian Breakdown. It's Mike Thunderman. Hey, this is Tony. At least this wasn't fucking Hug-A-Bunch. In 3D, hug a bunch in 3D. In 3D? No, I, honestly, Derek, these, these weren't bad comics. I actually did enjoy them for the most part. They yeah, too bad. they're yeah. good. I like them. Yeah. Yeah. They, they didn't hurt my feel bad, though. I was like, you know.